not about what's right or wrong with your child. It's about doing what works, thinking about what are your long-term goals and to do what's needed for the situation as opposed to getting stuck on, well, this is how I did, my dad dealt with me. Is that, is that being effective? Is that getting you, maybe that's true. And maybe it worked for you or not. <laughs> is that necessarily what's most effective for this child? Or work with his, your older brother, your older sister. Comparison. Yeah, that comparison. Is that effective? Remember, what is your long-term goal for your child? This child has different needs. Like I tell my clients, you know, if they come in and they have an anxiety disorder and they come in and they say, well, I'll tell you the truth, Montes. I stood on my head the whole day yesterday and it worked for me because I don't have to work and I didn't feel anxious. So I would say to them, keep standing on your head because it works. You're listening to Journey to Fatherhood a podcast that inspires and equips men to becoming more intentional and feeling more supported on the journey to fatherhood. Why wait to become a father before learning how to be a good one? My name is Chinidim Obwennaya, a young man also on his journey with a desire to help men become great fathers despite their past personal experiences. I'll be sitting with different guests to bring you great value, sharing their knowledge and their experiences as we all embark on this amazing journey. This podcast, though targeted towards men, ladies, you will also gain great value from the conversations. Now, without further ado, let the journey begin. Hello, guys. What you're about to listen to is a conversation I had with Matisse Miller. And he's a psychotherapist that has also authored a book called The Uncontrollable Child. And in this episode, we listen to different approaches that he's presented and areas of discussion into parenting, even self-awareness, where he talks about the dialectic behavioral therapy, where you're going to find out more about that. But in this episode, I want you to listen into everything he's saying in terms of how you can unlearn, how you can come to accept and balance change at the same time. I thoroughly enjoyed this. And if you listen to the end, you'll hear me acting like a, a little school kid that's just excited over new news because it's an amazing episode. Once again, thank you for joining the podcast and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Take care. Hello, guys, and welcome to Journey to Fatherhood. I want to start by saying thank you for joining us again. And today's guest, we have an amazing individual that I came to know about. And in our call last week, we actually got to find out so much more about areas of psychology that I didn't know about. We're going to talk about it more, DVT, and so much more. But without further ado, I want to introduce you to Mattis Miller. Miller, is, it's so important for you to understand, as we're going to discuss, his journey to fatherhood, but also the research he's put into parenting. And this is an area we haven't really talked too much about. And without further ado, I want to introduce you to Mattis Miller. He's based in New Jersey, USA. I keep thinking... Is it New Jersey or New Jersey? I have to adjust <laughs> But he's based in New Jersey. I came across him. When, um, I found out about him. Someone reached out to me and suggested him and referred him. And I'm so happy they did. And what we're talking about today, we're going to be talking about parenting. We're going to be talking about journey to fatherhood and also journey as individuals in terms of discovering so many aspects of character development, behavior change. So without me running my mouth too much, let me introduce the Matisse Miller. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm great, Shinadan. Thank you so much for having me here today. And 
it's exciting for me because I think this is my first podcast to an international audience. Absolutely, so, breaking ground. So I'm glad to, to be here and to speak to your audience. Thank you for having me. Definitely, definitely. And I think for me, one thing I just wanted us to, I, I want to break the ice a bit. So we're going to ask you a, bit, a few questions you didn't expect. And I didn't prep you because of that intentionally. So four things we're going to answer. First thing is, it, it may not make any sense. It may not be related. First thing is your favorite color and why. The second thing is, what's your best thing to do in your spare time? And the third thing, I think we'll leave it a third. The third thing is, what were you like as a boy at the age of 17? It's a weird number, an odd number. People don't really think about 17 because it's not that big. So what were you as a young man, as a young boy at 17? So first, what's your favorite color and why? My favorite color is blue. I don't even know if it's my favorite color, but I think <laughs> it's my favorite color. Okay. And maybe because that's what all the, the boys said when we were in uh, preschool and elementary okay. school. Blue was, uh, I like the color blue. I, but the truth is I do like a lighter color blue. It's probably my favorite and it's calming. There's, there's a calming uh, neutralness to, to that color as opposed to other colors have uh, more power or energy. And I think it's my personality as well. You know, more people often tell me I'm very calming and soothing. So uh, that's in terms of my color. One would think that you actually practiced this question. But just to let you guys know, this is just coming off straight here. Okay, nice. <laughs> that's, a very, that's a very insightful process behind it. Calm in nature, I just think of the sky as well. Okay, yeah. take us to your next answer for the second question. Second question, which was, what's your favorite thing to do in your spare time? I love the warm weather. Mm -hmm. And if I have that ability, during the winter it's tough because it's quite cold here. Yeah, uh, and sometimes, I'm sorry? You have the extreme weathers over there, don't yeah, you? Yeah, the extreme weathers. But if I have the opportunity either to go somewhere where there is warm weather, where I can take a break mm -hmm. um, and just sit outside and do nothing. Of course, sit there and study. And I just like being and enjoying the warm weather and, and doing things. I mean, not just sitting per se, but perhaps doing some of my studying or reading. There's something about the outdoors, the sunshine, the sunlight that's invigorating for me. And that's just where uh, I, if I had the time or the ability at any point, even today, actually, I see the sun out. I just keep thinking, oh, I have a little break at some point. I could just take a walk or sit on my, my porch a little bit yeah. and enjoy uh, the sunshine. So, um, yeah. I'm making a connection here already. Okay, let's see what the last uh, last answer is going to be. What were you doing at the age of 17? 17, very odd number, but what were you doing? Yeah, it was an odd number, but it was a real trigger. Mm. And I don't always usually share this, but at age of 17, I, I was in and out of hospitals with childhood cancer. So that was my 17. I don't always share that, but you sort of trigger right. So um, yeah, that was my 17-year-old year. Um, it was a year and, and thank God I'm doing well and, and moved on. Um, yeah. But my focus was li living at that point. <laughs> you know? uh, and you so, made it. And I made it. And I made it as many years ago. And I'm, I'm very, uh, very thankful. But that's what it was like. Uh, what I wanted to be doing probably was having a good time with friends. I love to play basketball. Um, Same here. My, favorite, my favorite sport. 
I, I I am just having a good time getting out there, you know, going to school, um, you know, figuring things out. Um, but God had other plans. So he takes control at the end of the day. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't think we were going there, did you? <laughs> no. See, this is why it's 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 an icebreaker, but sometimes it can be a very insightful icebreaker. So whilst you were talking, before I even go any further, what's your favorite basketball team? Don't disappoint me. Well, the Knicks. They're not that great. Because oh, <laughs> when I was a kid, they were they were pretty good. Is they it because still- they have the color blue in their in in their theme? Color? Oh, in their logo, and they have the blue and orange. No, you know, I'm, I, I grew up in New York, so that's just. Okay. That's what we had, even though the Nets were New Jersey Nets back then. You know, now they're- Really? Brooklyn, okay, wow. That means I have no idea what, I, I've only been following, because I played basketball at, you call it college. I played basketball at college level. Okay. And yeah. my team's always been Golden State. In all honesty, disclaimer, it used to be Miami Heat, but not because uh-huh. of LeBron James, it was because of Dwayne Wade. And then uh-huh. it switched to Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. And that's been like that for the last, seven years before they won the first cha- the recent mm-hmm. chapter the first championship when they were in a role so oh, right. guys i'm not glory hunting but <laughs> i just um thank you for sharing that because it's it's interesting whilst you were talking you talked about the color blue the calming nature of it and then you talked about what you'd like to do in your spare time and i could just imagine you sitting on the grass looking up the sort of blue skies and just chilling and just taking all of that in and you then talked about what you did at the age of 17, which was about where it's a very, it was a very tough year for you. And the aim, as you said, was living. So if you put together, it's a really weird coincidence, those answers. But when you yeah. put it together, it comes down to the idea of peace and value and gratitude for life. Yeah, you so, got it. So no, that is. Very, very powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one thing I really wanted to ask, based on our conversation last we had um, we had a catch up last week. I wanted to um, you to take us on a personal journey as much as possible, as well as a professional yeah. um, from a place of expertise. So we're going to be talking about your book, The Uncontrollable Child. And please, if you're listening, we're going to be speaking about this later on, and we'll have some information about how to get access to the book, and also some work, some promotion, some some wonderful surprise we have for you at the end of the show. So before we go any further, who is Matisse Miller? So I'm a psychotherapist. Yes. Uh, My specialty is in cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy and other evidence-based psychotherapies. Uh, I have a practice, I have a private practice, the Center for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, group private practice, where I'm the founder and the director of that practice. We treat individuals, families, group therapy, uh, provide consultations. I also train and lecture on a variety of topics, the professionals, the parents, uh, provide regular consultations. That's my professional life. Mm. But I think when it comes to my writing this book, there's another piece that's so important. And that's that I'm a father of six children. How did you say that? Remember my remember my reaction when you said that last week. Yeah. Listen, please carry on. Yes. So I have three boys and I have three girls. Uh, my youngest is 18 months and my oldest is 16, getting his driver's permit. 
the whole so, range. Got the whole range. So that's a big part of me, you know, I'm talking about spare time. I don't know how much of spare time like also <laughs> Uh, but they're, they're, it's wonderful. So parenting is obviously personally, it's a, it's a topic mm-hmm. that's so important to me and vital in my life. Absolutely. As well as I, I clearly see as a psychotherapist and meeting people is firstly how childhood impacts us in such a uh, profound way. It affects the way we think, we believe, we behave, we feel. And that um, that so much goes into a lot of the struggles that I work with with adults uh, often, not always, but often it is related to their childhood experiences. The other piece of it is meeting with a lot of parents who have their own children and struggling and needing the skills and the strategies and the tools and having certain things that are getting in the way and their ability to effectively parent. And I'm realizing that this is something that many people need help with. And I therefore, um, we can talk about that maybe a bit later, led me to feel that a book such as The Uncontrollable Child can be helpful to many. Absolutely. I think just till this day, we talked about it last week, but I'm from a family of five kids. But when you told me in detail that you have six kids and the age range, that a lot came into my mind in terms of how do you treat each child? How do you attend to each child's need, their character and all of those things? And that, well, like you said, we're going to get a bit more into that in terms of the book. But as I was reading the book and read a few chapters in terms of acceptance and change, I don't want to spoil the book for anyone, but I was listening, reading a lot of those things. And it was just, it was almost like I was, <laughs> I realized I have so much more work to do myself. The more you read it, the more you start to identify, okay, what stage am I in? But before we go deeper into that, one thing I really wanted to know is, whilst we're going to find out the drive and what kind of brought about the writing of the book, talk us through your development and your experience as a young man coming up in terms of how those things have built who you are as a man and how you're able to reflect that in your wonderful six kids that you have as a father. Yeah, I, I, always, I always knew uh, intuitively that I wanted to be a dad. Uh, oh, okay. That would be uh, c- culturally, religion, social environment, so many things impact that decision. But family was a, a value, I guess, that was really in my environment imparted to me. And therefore, uh, even as a young man, that was a goal. Uh, that oh. was very much a goal of having a family, having children, uh, marriage. So those things with, with that uh, goal in mind. I didn't have a certain goal of how many kids I'm going to have. But you did. Yeah. You got it right on the mark. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I definitely, that was something that was always important. And I think in, even in terms of my self growth, there was probably a part. I know when we're immature, we don't necessarily have that broad perspective of uh, our own self growth and how that is so important in terms of our interactions with others and certainly our relationship with our children. Yeah. But I'm sure it was always on, you know, there was a part of me, it was always on my mind. That's where I want to get to. And that was the journey. Uh, and, and once you, you know, jump in to you find that right person, you decide to get married, and before you know it, uh, you have children. I don't, I don't think I was very prepared or knew exactly what it was going to be like, that experience. I knew that I wanted to be a very present, involved child. Uh, uh, dad with my children I wanted to have 
a bond with them, a relationship with them. I wanted to be the best father I could be. I also wanted to impart my own values, morals uh, on my children while ensuring that I provided them physically and emotionally so that they could be as successful as possible with their capabilities and their potential. So I guess that over, over time and over years that, that evolved that clarity in what my goal, my goal is and where on that journey. And fatherhood has lots of twists and turns that we don't necessarily expect. And also our own, uh, and I know you speak a lot about this uh, you know, on your podcast and some of your, your writing on realizing how our own experiences greatly impact the way we, we, we interact with our children because we don't, we don't get a manual. Although there's the uncontrollable child. <laughs> but one of the things I say is it's, it's the book, but it's not the book. And in other words, is there's no, I think it's important for new fathers, old fathers, there's no right way to parent, and we'll get into dialectics, but there's no absolute way. Yes, there are certain strategies and skills that are effective and uh, mindsets and broadening our perception and understanding of development of ourselves. At the same time, it's really important you know, to realize that we have to constantly grow and learn through these experiences and become better fathers and be able to be brought in and turn towards others for help along the way. Okay. See, the thing, the thing that strikes me very interesting is because my degree, I had a degree in psychology. And when I finished my degree, I went into educational psychology. Um, I wanted to pursue educational psychology, started working in schools and working with a lot of young people. And I started to find out that because I was the behavior lead management. So I was dealing with all the naughty ones or the ones that went, the teachers couldn't control, interestingly enough, that were always disruptive in classes. One thing I found was, especially with the boys, a lot of their behavior was as a lack of ability to express what they were going through. And I know you found it in with the people that you've been able, as a therapist over time, it's, a lot of it comes from people being able to understand their emotions, express their emotions, and be able to take the right actions to deal with their emotions. So one thing I found that with a lot of the young boys that we were that came into what we call an inclusion center in the schools, they just didn't know how to communicate. And their family and their family structure didn't really give room for, for communicating it. A lot of the things that till this day I do, I, I work with some of those kids, some of those boys, and it's I'm treated the same way as all my siblings. They just don't get it. It's almost like no one understands me. That's the phrase that's common amongst, synonymous amongst a lot of those boys. No one understands me. And whilst I was reading your books, it was one of those things where when I started to think about the dialectic structure, it made me think that there's really something, there's, there's a, a twist in terms of being able to understand and uncover how you can be a better parent and a better individual to your kids. Of course, I'm not a father yet, However, one thing, I, I wanted to read something out from the book. I know we, we said we'll leave the book till later, but there was something that, that came in the book. And you talked about this in the introduction where you said, I accept and applaud my child for who she is and what she has accomplished. And I want to change her correct behaviors. Now, what I found that whilst we're talking about men, and I believe it's synonymous with both boys and girls, it's about understanding individuals. And what happens with a lot with the schools, going back to the experience I had with the young boys, is that they would have an older brother that's done 
great grades. They've got great grades. They've got athlete of the year and all of those things. But when they looked at themselves, they weren't really athletic. They weren't really as brilliant. But every single thing that they did, the parents said, but look at your brother. Why can't you just be like your older sister? Why can't you be like that? And as a therapist, I'm sure that you've worked with adults that they have these things seep them deep rooted from childhood experiences. My question from that, and having read the first um, first chapter as well in terms of acceptance, how do you deal? How do you? How can you address that with young people that are growing up now that still have those things in the back of their mind, being told you're not like this person? Because sometimes it seems like a, a simple answer about oh, just forget it. But what advice and what kind of approach would you give to people dealing with that? People as they're older adults. As they're older adults. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Because what happens is they, they, first of all, they develop these belief systems about themselves. Yeah. That I'm, I'm no good. I'm not capable. I'm not talented. I'm defective. I'm incompetent. I'm a failure. That's firstly. And secondly, is they have this internalized inner, inner critic that every time they do something that's just not good enough, here you go again, you can't get anything right. And that's even going into parenting as well. And, and I try to give that message in the book, you know, that parenting is hard and that you are gonna mess up sometimes. And there are gonna be, there is gonna be frustration and there are gonna be emotions and that's okay. And that's not necessarily the message they got when they were a child. They were, got the message that no, you these unrelenting standards or expectation or unfair comparisons of where they should be in a very judgmental way, instead of looking at who they are and their capabilities. So how I dress, there are many different ways that I address it. One way is helping them become aware of these underlying beliefs that they have about themselves, such as I mentioned, I'm a failure or I'm no good. Then I help them go back to see where did they develop this belief? What age range was it, you know, preschool, elementary school, high school? Was it between the age of five and eight? Identify that period. And then I would go back with them using cognitive therapy and ask them, let's look at the evidence that you were a failure. And let's list all that evidence that little uh, Chinadam you know, was it around and what made it, well, mom said this, teacher said this, I couldn't do, I, I, I failed every sport I tried. So we would list that evidence and then we might go ahead and say, let's look at the evidence that you were not a failure then. I did have some friends. I was funny, kids used to laugh. Mm. I always came to school on time and listened. I was, res I was a respectful kid. We'd identify that. Then we might go ahead and say, now let's go back. And let's see if there are alternative explanations to you seeing yourself as a failure as a child. In other words, the evidence that you have, such as mom said I was never good enough. Mm -hmm. So what might be another explanation of that? And I would help them to a guided discovery, discovery come to the, the idea is that, you know, mom had her own struggles looking back and she would say those things when she had a real temper. And the truth is looking back, I, I, the, I was a good kid. I was doing the right thing or I messed up once in a while. We would actually go through each of those pieces of evidence and help because in a child's mind, you saw it one way, but to open your mind and see it from a different perspective and come to a new conclusion about self. 
that perhaps there's a new belief that overall I'm a competent, I'm a capable person with strengths and weaknesses. I have strengths and I have weaknesses and try to strengthen a healthier belief about self. That's one way. Sometimes people get it logically, but emotionally they still feel like they're terrible. They still feel like they're horrible, that they're not good enough. And that's when sometimes, and I mentioned to you this a little bit earlier, Chimigan, that I would do something called schema therapy using the power of imagery and go back to those early on experiences. And I would go to that little boy or that little girl, either the therapist, eventually bring maybe their healthy older adult self in to try to meet the needs and change the way that child thinks about them. When they're sitting on the ball court in the corner crying in an image and I come down and I give them opportunity to express what they're feeling, like you said, and be able to validate those experiences. It's sort of like what we would call limited reparenting. It's a reparenting. Okay. Tell me, explain that a bit, please. Because I'm not really, it's limited. You know, I'm not, I'm not becoming their parent. Okay. At the same time, I am reparenting. I'm doing it again in a limited way. I'm changing the way they thought about themselves during those experiences. Okay. And what we, and what we know is, is so often people, well, it happened back then, it's gone. Yes, the experience is gone, but the emotional impact and memory of that experience still lives on in your head. And if we can actually go repeatedly and modify those experiences and address because that little boy, that little girl is still there, still feels not good enough, still feels like they can't be successful. And if you go back to that core memory, with, and there's so much emotion, I've worked with clients, they're sitting there crying and, and using the power of emotion because even though I get it logically, I still feel it and try to meet some of those needs. That, that's pretty comp complex work and, and work that you have to be quite trained in. So that's another thing. Even on a even more superficial level, I have a lot of, let's say a mom comes and says like, I'm you know, a failure as a mom, we would even look at now. We would look at a continuum of how you define what is it a, a good mother versus a failure mom. And I would list with them all the qualities of, of being a effective father, effective mother. And I would rate them on each of those. And before you know it, we'd actually bring a lot of data to say, actually, your belief that I would move their, the, I would decrease the uh, intensity of how much they believe that they're a failure by making them more aware of the evidence and the reality of what it is. Okay. See, this is this is this is a very interesting concept, especially the limited reparenting that you yeah. mentioned. I just made a note of that because when I was working in the schools, I found it hard to be able to get through to them under such limited time, and because there was always the idea that they knew you weren't their father. However, they wished or they hoped they could get some sort of bond with you as they would with their fathers or something like that. And it really blew my mind because I had, I was dealing with personal things myself as well. And it's good that you said it's something that requires someone that's very trained. And what I've always talked about in terms of on the podcast is I've encouraged both men and women, whoever's listening, to try and take out the time and invest the time to get the right help, to get the right support, the professional support. Because like you said, it's very, it's a, it's a methodical, but very, you need a lot of expertise to get through this. 
And I think people have a hard time on themselves feeling like they can't, they haven't gotten out of it, they haven't snapped out of it because they feel that willpower should be able to get them out of it. But sometimes you do need that, you do need that support, you do need that professional help. And it, it brings me on to the next question. So on the, on, on the topic of fatherhood, I just wanted to kind of know, the second question I wanted to ask you is this, whilst we talked about fatherhood, I wanted to know as we approach into the book a bit more, what does fatherhood mean to you? I, I think I mentioned it a little bit earlier. To me, fatherhood means the ability to, again, take care of your child, mm. their physical needs, their emotional needs, at the same time, giving them what's needed through their childhood, emotionally and physically, the, uh, you know, empowering them to be able to be successful as they become more independent and go out in the world. As a father, your children are very, very vulnerable. They're very impressionable. And that's why, you know, you said before, just, just get, just use my willpower to get it out. It doesn't get out. When we talk about early on childhood experiences, those are the most raw, vulnerable times of your life where you're so dependent on those around you. You don't understand that there's a world out there or there are different perspectives or ways of doing things, or maybe this one. And I think you just sitting with those boys in school for a few hours is actually boarding their mind that there are other people out there that maybe some of my emotions do make sense. Maybe it's okay to say what I feel. I could feel angry. There's nothing wrong with feeling angry. I don't have to suppress that all the time. So children are completely guided by their environment and their and the father, I guess, is someone, you know, again, it depends on the society and the cultural aspect, but there's definitely a masculine, often, you know, for the boys or even for the girls, there's loads of research on the importance of the role of a father versus the role of a mother. But I do think that the, the father is someone who definitely has the ability to model and uh, really help the child. I want to say uh, empower. I also want to say builds a child's sense of self and confidence and capability and in, in, their, in their ability to go and face challenges and to support them through that. And I think that's something that, for, aside from providing them on a physical, that very often fathers don't realize, dads don't realize that emotionally they play such a role. You know, a lot of our boys, the boys look up to their dads. They wanna be like their dads. Uh, they respect their dads. They see it as the dad. That's what I was saying, that more masculine, which is not always the case, but the dad is, in a way, they look, you know, mom is more often looked at as the more soft, nurturing, loving, uh, and the dad as well, providing that too. But there are different aspects, and, and they want to feel understood. A child wants to feel respected, wants to feel valued. Uh, and accepted and appreciated for who they are. Uh, that's not an absolute, again, as I say, you know, there can be an individual and their partner. It could work on all different ways, but I'm just talking about specifically things that I, I believe a dad can give over. And a daughter needs a dad too, very much. 
Definitely. And I, I, I can definitely attest to that. Um, being from a family of four, um, five, five kids, four boys, one girl. And I sometimes, personally, I do feel for my sister because I understand there is that father-daughter relationship that she needs and she would definitely, it's beneficial for every girl. And so we try to, I try to suggest people and try and make sure she has quote unquote father figures, but male role models that could actually guide her and speak to her. Yes. I can't play a father to her. And I think that was one thing that was, it was a bit of a hard, um, hard pill to swallow for me in my teens when I realized that I was conflicting between trying to be the older brother and also trying to be like a father figure, which just doesn't work. No. And no, yeah. it's a different role. It's a whole different role. And it's interesting because you, t- you led into the next question and leads us into the book, actually, because I wanted you to kind of, like we were talking last week when we were having our conversation, that what you propose in the book is not strict do, 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 and you get this is guidance and also suggestions of ways to understand. Talk us through the book, what inspired it, and what did you hope to achieve through the book, The Uncontrollable Child? What inspired it was that I found when I was working with many parents that they would vacillate from extremes in terms of parenting, meaning they would be very loving, accepting, perhaps validating, aware, nurturing. At the same time, they had a lot of difficulty balancing that with discipline and limits and structure and consistency, which are really key in addressing problem behaviors that have come up in our children, where we want to guide them. And I, you know, off the cuff, I was responding to you about what a father means, but I think part of parenting also in order to ensure success is to help discipline children and so that they're more prepared again for to take responsibility and to be effective in life. Uh, and then the other way, I found p- parents who are on the extreme of, you know, my kids should just listen. What's wrong with them? Very judgmental, unrelenting standards, punitive, critical, uh, thinking something's wrong with their kid. And that was the other extreme, but not knowing how to validate them, to understand them, to communicate and connect to them. That was another piece. So I felt it was both these extremes and I saw they had difficulty synthesizing these two concepts. And I, and I realized there was great material out there that can help understand child development, nurturance, validation, emotional language, like you were speaking about before. And there's also a lot of wonderful things on how to discipline your child or react when they're having a tantrum or they're engaging in problematic behavior and you have to use punishment or how to use reinforcement or change strategies. I felt there was a lacking of the ability to synthesize these two concepts and to help a parent in a very practical way find a balance. And that was another thing is that there was a lot of this good information out there. But I I, I felt there was a lacking of clarity where parents were given really step-by-step an understanding of the concept and how to implement it. And then the idea that there's no right way and you can take everything you've learned here mm-hmm. and, and it might not be effective and that's okay. Then you can figure out what's getting in the way. Is there a roadblock as I talked about? Is your, is your own child 
experiences getting away? Are there other emotions getting away? To become more aware of that, and I talk about being mindful of that, taking a step back, and then seeing what you can do to change that. So with all that being said, yes, the uncontrollable child overall, I was thinking about, because i that's what I see frequently in my office, is that emotionally sensitive, there's no singular de- definition for the uncontrollable child, but maybe very sensitive, reactive, impulsive, delinquent, uh, non-compliant, uh, crying often, tantruming often, maybe a child who's out of where the parents say, oh, I can't do this anymore. I'm not control. I don't even know what to do. I think that the book can really be helpful for all, all parents. There's so much in there that really relates to every child and seeing, as you said before, every child and trying to accept, connect, appreciate who they are while at the same time on our dialectic, as maybe we'll get into, working towards change because if I'm changing, that doesn't mean I need to, I don't have to constantly also focus on acceptance. And sometimes we try to change and we're not, it's not being effective. And therefore we have to stop fighting that reality and stop working on change and learn to accept and embrace for the present moment that this is what is. That perhaps, you know, I try to get my child into sports because he would go to school every day and the, the, the other children would play and he wouldn't, or she, she wouldn't be able to, do the uh, be part of the athletic clubs, and I and I, I'm a sports I'm a sports guy. This is what I do, I, and I tried, to but mold. it comes to what do you say? You try to mold them exactly, exactly, and then I might need to realize I have to go back to acceptance. And acceptance doesn't mean hopelessness. Acceptance doesn't mean that the child is not going to succeed or be capable. Acceptance is is understanding is this is who they are, with all their Again, strengths and weaknesses, not based on our expectations or our, I talk about, I don't know if you read about this, Chinatam, the should beliefs, uh, the judgment on on how they should be as opposed to who they are. I think that's a very, it it really is really important. As you mentioned, the dialectic, for people that don't understand the dialectic behavioral therapy, could you explain that and how it links to parenting and how you've mentioned that in the book? Because I think it's a very, because I told you last week, hearing it from you was the first time I heard it, but it made so much more sense because it wasn't just as you, please just go ahead. Tell us exactly or your, your description, because I've seen how you described it in the book. Give the audience an idea of what the dialectic behavioral therapy is, how it links to parenting and how you've expressed it in the book. Mm-hmm. So dialectical behavioral therapy is a subset of cognitive behavioral therapy. And it was developed originally by one day Marshall Linehan for people with borderline personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Now it's actually being used in many, even in school systems, dialectical behavioral therapy for a variety of uh, difficulties. And even besides school systems, medical settings, and even in corporate settings as well, a lot of these skills and strategies are being taught. On top of the standard cognitive behavioral therapy, what Marshall Linehan added was something called what was the concept of acceptance because when she found in her work, she was a behavioral psychologist and behaviorists think about change. What can we do to change? And what she actually started finding is when she was working with people and she'd be focusing on change, let's find solutions, let's solve the problem. Their response would be, you don't get me. You don't understand my pain. You have no idea what I'm going through. 
And so she said, okay, I'll take a step back. Maybe I need to understand a little bit, validate more, help them move towards a place of accepting themselves. And she started working with them on accepting the reality of their lives and who they are and their struggles and validating them. And then they were like, so you don't think it's all for me? I can't change. So that's why she's like, whoa, <laughs> change acceptance. And then she realized that there was this dialectic and dialectic means the definitions are two ideas that are opposite or appear opposite that can both be true at the same time. And that's where she introduced this concept of dialectical behavioral therapy, of taking concepts of acceptance, of, of moving towards uh, being able to accept oneself, one's environment, tolerate the stress, the things in life, the pain, that's the reality of life, at the same time balancing that with making change in their life. And when I started working a lot in DBT, and there are many different components of dialectical behavioral therapy. I don't know if this is the time or place to get into the details of that. But what I found is this so relates to parenting and really all aspects of our life is we're constantly moving on the, on the dialectic. And the idea is, is that when there is another perspective, dialectics opens up our mind to see that there's no absolute, there's no one way, and there's always another side. There's always another perspective. Oh, absolutely. So, and, and it's the ability to actually, and even in parenting, is to find the kernel of truth in the other side. So even if you don't understand your child, and that's why we change our language even when we think dialectically, it's this and this. We move away from words like never and always because we see things as frequently, often, at times, which really affects how we think because there is no absolute in anything because the world is constantly changing and evolving. And we can't really understand exactly what we're our where our child is or their perspective. And being accepting and being dialectical is the ability to take a step back and try to understand what is the truth in their perspective. And that brings me towards being, that's why you need skills of mindfulness to do that. You need the ability to validate, to understand those experiences and look for those experiences. Um, and it gets us unstuck and it helps model for our children to get unstuck from standoffs, from conflict, when we broaden our view and we understand that there is another perspective, dialectics teaches us that change is constant, dialectics teaches us that change is transactional, that when we change, it infects our environment because we're all connected. So the dialectical view is very, very powerful in parenting. And I found that that's where the uncontrollable child was really born because I, I, in my parenting, I'm like, there's so many dialectics here and there's finding, we need both. And we need to sometimes just enter the paradox, as we say, even if we can't make sense of the dialectic right now, maybe it is confusing, but the willingness to allow those two to stand and allow the truth oh. to come over time. Yeah, yeah, it is tough. And I think if, and part of the goals in my work in Uncontrollable Child and to help parents and dads become more effective. I keep using that word effective because that's a key word in mindfulness is being effective. It's not about what's principally right or wrong. Of course, there are certain things that are right and wrong. You shouldn't steal. Certainly, absolutely. But overall, it's, it's not about what's right or wrong with your child. It's about doing what works 
thinking about what are your long-term goals and to do what's needed for the situation as opposed to getting stuck on, well, this is how I did, my dad dealt with me. Is that, is that being effective? Is that getting you, maybe that's true. And maybe it worked for you or not. <laughs> is that necessarily what's most effective for this child? Or work with his, your older brother, your older sister. Comparison. Yeah, that comparison. Is that effective? Remember, what is your long-term goal for your child? This child has different needs. Like I tell my clients, you know, if they come in and they have an anxiety disorder and they come in and they say, well, I'll tell you the truth, Montes. I stood on my head the whole day yesterday and it worked for me because I don't have to work and I didn't feel anxious. So I would say to them, keep standing on your head because it works. Now that never actually happened, Jim. Yeah, <laughs> but- well, I mean, out of out of that. Yeah, it's an extreme example to give an idea. But the point is, is not getting stuck on, you know, and and again, you have to be flexible and approachable. And dialectics teaches us that to open our mind. And that's with a child who's very sensitive and reactive or impulsive. There's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of getting stuck. There's a lot of power struggle. And if we open our eyes to be able to shift and see what's going on in our child's world. What are the causes? What's underlying? What are their needs? Maybe I keep using this strategy. The teacher keeps sending the kid out of the room to this other program again and again and again because they want to help the kid. But they keep kicking them out of the class every day. Is the child getting better? Makes no. Sense. Yeah. No. Is it being effective? Is it working? I don't think people ask those questions often. And it's 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 so it's so poignant to the point because like I was saying at the start, one area it's the acceptors, the ability to balance both, the dialectic approach. I was really drawn to that in our conversation last week because most of the time it's the one thing's okay, I'll accept this has happened. Okay, now I push that to the side. Now let's deal with a change. And not being able to handle that simultaneously. And like you said, it applies more than just parenting as individuals, as growing up. And I think this is why your book, I've been going through some of the book and when I'm reading it, I'm looking at ways that it's not just about parents, even in terms of corporate relationships. And as a, as a leader in my organization, what I found that is that when I'm working with my team, it's not that you're treating them as children, but it's being able to understand where everyone's coming from, how they're dealing with being able to introduce change, people are new to the organization. And it's it's so it's so important. I really, really, really do encourage everyone listening because it's it's, it's very easy to get the book. Go to theuncontrollablechild.com. When you go there, you can order it from, if I remember correctly, Books A Million, it's on Amazon and so many more places. But go into theuncontrollablechild.com I really want to encourage you guys to have a look at that because I've been making notes. I've been reading it from my, um, I've been reading it on, on, on digital copy, highlighting it and copying it to my notes and doing little diagrams in it because you can draw out so much from even the sentence that I mentioned earlier about appreciating the individual's achievements. Because growing up, I realized that maybe because there wasn't that element of validation, which is one of the areas you talked about, even when I was doing well, because it wasn't in comparison to what someone else was doing or what I thought I should be doing or what my parents expect me to be doing at this age, 
at this capacity of environment, there was an appreciation of what I was doing. And it's, I, I, the reason why I started this podcast is not just for, almost in a selfish, re, almost in a selfish reason, for also for me to get the help I need, to be able to understand a bit more as I go through this journey, because like you said, what worked for your parents in the, back, in the past will not always be the same way. There is no go-to way, it's about understanding oneself and then being able to understand someone else to help them. And sorry, please, please go on. No, no, what you just said, and on our dialectic, and there are also, and this is what's hard about, there are also very specific evidence-based strategies that we can use that are effective very, very often with many, many children. So it's, yes, it's about that shift. It's about letting go of those expectations, letting go of the judgment, seeing your child who they are, and also learning to say no, learning to implement effective consequences, learning how to praise your child in an effective way, learning how to use a behavioral contract or behavioral chart to increase motivation or change a child's behavior, learning how to balance uh, the idea of being very consistent in your parenting and how to, when to be flexible. There are skills, there are very specific strategies. Mm. Uh, and, and I implore you to read the book and implement them. And if they're not working, it could be many causes why they're not working. Either you're something getting the way, you're inconsistent, you're certain your moods are getting the way, your past is getting the way, or the strategy is not right for this child in this situation. That's a good one. And while I'll go even further and tell them not just to read it, but study it. Because it's very easy for people to read. There are some books you pick up, you read because someone recommended it. But there are books you pick up. You, I, I, I like, I'm a very objective person. As much as I am subjective, I like seeing actual, I like looking at references. I keep looking at the references, um, Etel, 2000, and all of those things. I look back at it because then you, it leads you to more research. It leads you to more research and it, it solidifies what theory or what practice you're trying to apply. But I definitely encourage you to read but study it because before you can say this doesn't work, you need to actually understand what it's saying. Not just read it, but read and say it because you can read and put it back on the shelf. But if you read, study and apply it, you'll be going back to it constantly. And I think that's what your book definitely has the capacity to do because I've only read a, a little bit of it, but as I'm reading it, I'm doing some soul searching. And, and I, I say that with all honesty, because I think as even adults, there's still a part of a child in us that is still trying to grow up and still trying to understand why did I go through this? Why am I going through this? How can I help? How can I avoid it? The fears, the strengths, the joys, and so many more. Because whilst we, um, after our last conversation, in preparation for this, um, for this interview I shared on my social media platform ask a question I was asking my, um, my followers question one question name your most favorite experience with your father and people talked about different things but no one talked about the present no one talked about a gift one of the ones that really fascinated me was one of um, one of the one of my followers said something like he took us on a surprise trip to a Thorpe Park. So Thorpe Park is a resort area where they got slides and all those fun stuff. And it turns out that he said that when they got there, all the rides were closed. But they, their dad told them to go, there was a little pool play area 
and they went in there, they were just playing. And he remembers seeing the smile on his dad's face. Wow. And because I kept on, once he said his answer, I kept on digging a bit deeper. But it just goes to show you that the dad wasn't even playing with them. But it was because he said that he just remembers that the dad was happy that they were happy. And that hit me in a different way because even as parents, sometimes because we have expectations of what my child should be doing, the child can notice it. And that's why they feel like, oh, I'm not living up to what he wants. So I, I'm not able to make him happy. And the validation keeps creeping in. But when I really, this particular follower, we had other, react, other responses, but this particular follower, when they said this, it took me aback. It took me back. Imagine just, and he said, he, if I remember correctly, he was seven and he's 25 now. He was seven years old at the time. He's 25 now. And he still remembers that. And if that isn't a reminder of how parenting is more than just what you say, then I don't know what else is. You know, it's interesting. And, and you're so right. Children are so impacted by their parents' own emotional experience and the, and the body language that they give off. And it's not about the words they say. And research shows that when you tell someone you're feeling something, if I would look at you and say, you know, I'm not angry, right? you're going to think I'm angry. Because you don't listen to the words, you listen to the, the language, the vibe, the messages from our body language. It's so much more powerful. And children are sensitive, especially the sensitive, uncontrollable child. They pick up when they're that child, mm -hmm. the one who just can't do it right, where everyone gets upset. And that, that's what they're going to take along with them. Not the, uh, the trip to the theme park, but it's actually those emotional. And it's funny, when you said that, it brought back a memory for me. Uh, as a child, I don't know how old I was, is when we were uh, driving as a family somewhere, and we had cassettes in those days, you know, the, ta the tapes, not the CDs, not the USB. Okay. Roll it up to the tape. Yeah, there's a tape. The reminders. But I remember there was a, there was a you know, my, my dad, there was a, one of my brothers had a phone scams. I don't remember, it was one of the radio stations, they would call up some individual and they would scam them. On your uh, behalf. I'm sorry? Do you put a request for them to do that? Yeah, no, we didn't put a request, but we had a recording okay. of a bunch of them. Okay. That were on the stage. So we were playing it in the car. And I remember my father was laughing so hard, like so hard. And he's not, you know, my father is a tall man. And, yeah. you know, he's, he smiles, he's happy. But, you know, to see him in that vulnerable state, us sharing this with him and him having such a good time was, uh, was a memory. Yeah. See that that that's exactly what I'm talking about because my the um the the person that responded said a smile and what they associate with that. Yours was that memory, and I'm sure you had other amazing memories with your father, but that one came back to you, and mm -hmm. it just goes to show because I one thing I've had to do beside outside of the podcast, I've had conversation with a lot of men, and they say some people have come back saying they don't know how to express when they're happy. And because, and then I go deeper and they say that because if someone knows this is what makes me happy, they can easily take it away. And it's sad to even know that it's sad to hear that, but it just goes to show there's a lot of work that needs to be done, very deep rooted. And the two main things I'll definitely say, of course, first of all, everyone listening to this, get the uncontrollable child because 
the uncontrollable child will come. That's where you go to do it. Even if you're not a father yet, I'm not a father and I'm just starting to discover so many things, just reading into it. And secondly, please get the professional help you get, you need. Please get the professional help. And just like, when you get the book, you understand what I mean. Because, mm-hmm. I, I, and I want you to, if you could just go through the, the because I understand there's acceptance and you've got mindfulness, you've got validation. Can you just list a few? So just to give them an insight of what they're going to find in the book. Sure, sure. And I appreciate your excitement. And before I do that, I just want to throw out also, if you go to the uncontrollablechild.com, you purchase the book, you go back to the website. And if you put your receipt number into the website, we have a whole bonus page, which I have videos and explanations on how to use certain information and the charts and the handouts and the downloads. Oh, that's excellent that can be really helpful. And we have events too. So if you want to uh, we have alert page there. You could sign up for that for different events and uh, different programming that, that we'll be having. So absolutely, with your crowd, is, your audience as well. Um, as far as what's in the book, yeah. So we talk, we explain the core of uh, dialectics. We go into acceptance. And then we give you actually very practical strategies how to get to acceptance. Acceptance is not say, okay, so I'm going to accept it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a lot of work and there are skills to help you get there. Then we go into mindfulness skills and we break that down to very specific skills again, like we do in DBT on how to become more mindful and present and aware and in the moment and letting go of judgment. And then we move into the validation, which is really part of acceptance and the six levels of validation, which I mentioned earlier, and then to change strategies. How do we actually change or increase behaviors that we want in our children? We're using positive reinforcement and praise and rewards and how to do that in an effective way and understanding the the value of it and actually how to use it. And part of that, we talk about using behavioral charts and contracts to actually reward uh, children and increase their motivation to to do desired behaviors where they're struggling a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then we go into decreasing unwanted behaviors by using but part of actually uh, reinforcement is negative reinforcement too, which is an important strategy. And then uh, unwanted behaviors by using punishment or consequences, what the dangers are, the pros and cons of doing that, when to do it, how to do it, how to make it sure it's appropriate, it's time limited, it's the appropriate context, that it should come across not as punitive, but in a loving area, loving way to help them grow and develop in a responsible way. And then discuss the skills as well of satiating your child, uh, which is giving them what they need before they actually have the inappropriate behavior. And then extinction of ignoring problematic behaviors, not reinforcing them at all, but learning the skill how to not give attention to problematic behaviors so that they actually decrease. Because a lot of times we're feeding into those problem behaviors. And then the book goes into the idea of importance of consistency in parenting, as well as the importance of being flexible. And how do I find the balance, the dialectic? Because everyone says in parenting, you got to be consistent, 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 consistent. You got to be flexible too. You got to model flexibility. You have to be dialectical and understand that sometimes things need to change. And perhaps you have a certain rule or a certain way of doing things as your child develops and gets older, that's not appropriate for them anymore. Uh, or it's not being effective. So that's finding that balance, especially with a teenager who has that rebellious state stage that they want to go beyond, you know, uh, and you need to be 
flexible and open up for them. And then I talk a little bit at the end about the balance, the family balance. Um, and throughout, there are loads of examples that I, I, I believe in the feedback that they're very relatable. Uh, I, we even take two children and we go through the journey of the book. And then I talk about in the end, after the parents used all their different techniques and skills, what actually happened. And it's not all a beautiful ending. It's the idea that I want to portray so it's a realistic ending. And it's an ongoing uh, process. How is that? That's that's amazing. I think for me, because you, like I started reading it last week, and the the much I've read so far, you can see the excitement, and it's just the fact that it's like I'm trying to find the right words now. It's like walking up a mountain. You know, there's something amazing there, and all along the way, you could easily settle for what's halfway through because what's halfway through is so filling. So just even knowing that there's still something more at the top of the mountain. It's amazing because this book, I think, I, I just, I love books that have research and aren't just opinions. I think that's what makes your book even more relatable to me. And I know that because that's why I have this podcast, because I know I'm very limited in my own thinking, but I draw experience and understanding from different people. And this book does the exact same thing to a different level where it applies. It's not just throwing theories. And I like the fact that you mentioned about there are in the book it shows you how to apply these strategies because if you remember you said earlier that there's so much information but not enough people tell you how to apply it and that's why again i'll keep harping on about it but this book is definitely 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 one that i highly recommend and i i wouldn't i wouldn't go as far as saying that i want the kids to come right now so i can start practicing it but it's definitely yeah, yeah slow down there <laughs> But it's, de it's, yeah. defi it's definitely something I would highly recommend, even if it's just for you and you're not a parent. Yes. Your inner child. I love how you said that. Absolutely. You know, to nurture your own inner child. Absolutely. And that's what I've been doing. Yeah. And it's just, it's been wonderful. And one of the funny things that happened after our uh, interview last week is that I started thinking to myself, how come I didn't know about DBT? And I started researching and realized it's actually, it's, it's not a recent it's not just a new, it's not a new theory. And I was thinking to myself, why didn't I, is, did I sleep during the session, during the workshop in school? And I just looked back and I've never come across it. But it's so, so important. It's an important approach. It's such an important approach, honestly. And I just, I, first of all, I want to thank you for coming on because when I heard about, um, when I was, when you, when I was referred to, when you were referred to me, as someone that should be on the show, I read a bit more into it. And it was amazing to see that not only have you done all this research and all of this, the same, I keep saying it, six kids from 18 months to what's, what's the oldest? 16. Six. Ah, oh, tell me, if you ain't got it balanced, I don't know who else can. From 18 yeah. to 16. And I'm still working. Wow. And even when the 18, um, 16, um, 16 gets to 18 and becomes an adult, you still have one that's a, a child. So it's just. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yes, yes. No, I, I so appreciate it. And, uh, and, and even in terms of that, I'm going to leave you off with this. Okay. When you, and, and I don't think this was necessarily how you were seeing it towards yourself, but I could see someone saying, what's with me? Why didn't I know those DBT skills? Like I should know DBT. I should have learned. There's the should. 
there's that internal sh- judgmental should believe where really is no. The answer is, then you should not have known DBT. And you should, why? Because there are causes. Instead of getting stuck in judgment, look at causes. You might be sad. You might be uh, feel disappointed that you didn't have that, but you wouldn't feel frustrated because you would let go of the judgment. And you would see that's exactly where you should be is where you are now. Yeah, you just wait till the end to drop that bomb on me. Didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I got to give you a little therapy there in the end, right? Uh, I, I want to go deeper into that because I do that to myself so many times. Yeah. And it's, wow. <laughs> I'm very speechless, but. <laughs> that's, oh. that's the shit beliefs. Yeah. I would love to sit in some of the conversation you have with your kids because just being able to drop these bombs in them and just be able to there to nurture it and go through it because there's so much to explore in just what you said right now. <laughs> I like that. I really like I I really, I really like, I really like that. Just just for those that didn't quite catch it, can you please just say that one more time in terms of that the shoulds and the Yeah, yeah is that sometimes we can come, and I was using Trinidad's experience, you can come across something and your immediate reaction, if you have that internal judgment or critic, you know, what's wrong with me? And there's the should be, I should have known that. Did I sleep? Did I, was I responsible? How could I miss this? This is so important, which actually leads to frustration because I'm judging myself in a way as, as bad. I'm looking at myself like problematic, like there's something, when in truth, in truth, that's not what is. What is is exactly what should be. Meaning you should not know DBT for whatever there are causes, either because you were sleeping, which is okay because people sleep, or because you missed that class, or because they don't know about DBT where you live. And that's why we have to inform them. So whatever the, the reason might be, it's more effective to look at causes and that doesn't mean there might not be, that's really acceptance of the fact, accepting I don't know DBT, which is, may be disappointing, as I was saying. You might have some negative emotion associated, but when I let go of the judgment, it lets go of the criticalness, which leads to the frustration, the anger, the, the you know, disdain f- towards yourself, rather than looking at what is. And what is, is exactly what should be. What is is what should be. Oh my day. Ah, uh, you're just ah. Uh, what is is what should be. That just what is is what should be. Deep. That's acceptance in its own. It just that's it. That's it. That's acceptance. And if you right. can, and if you can embrace that as a parent, you'll be you'll be a more effective parent. Is is what should. Everything is as it should be, as we say in DVT. Now, now you're just now you're just showing off now. Now you're just showing off. Ah. <laughs> that showing off. But that's it's so profound. And honestly, what I'll try and do one as we go along, I'll try and see when we can set up a QA. Because I'm sure a live QA where we can have people sending questions because sure. there's so much we can dig into in terms of people's experiences and their responses. Just the one you left me with. That's something I'm going to ponder upon. I have a session, I have a coaching session this evening. And that's okay. something I'm going to be, what is, is what should be. What, let me, let me stop. I'm just be, I'm becoming a, a bit too excited now. But what is, is what yeah. should be, guys. Listen to that. 
Well, this is what yeah. she does. And write, um, write it on a piece of paper, put it on your mirror. Listen, I've got a board right now. I'm going to use the green marker because green is, um, represents life to me. So I'm definitely going to write that down. What is is what should be. But it's it's been an, a wonderful joy having you on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Sorry, I'm a bit too excited. I know that- No, I whole... love it. I love it. When people get excited about my work and I will to share, it's it's meaningful. So honestly- it's, We it's... love emotions in DBT. Bring on the emotions. <laughs> it all comes together. It all comes together. It all comes together. From the blue sky to the emotions. Oh, uh, you remember it. <laughs> Yeah. but it's, it's been a wonderful pleasure how can people get in touch with you if they want to get in touch with me directly yeah sure so if you go to the uncontrollablechild.com and you scroll down in the bottom you'll see there's a place to uh send me a message contact me if you uh like you said if someone wants to set up some sort of event or anything like that you can all you can contact me through the bottom of, or any specific questions you can contact me through the bottom of the the website you'll see there's a is a place to put information. Absolutely. And like you said, I'm going to be putting those details in the um, the comment section and also in the description section so you can get access. Again, again, if you don't remember anything, what is, is what should... Oh, no, I lost it. <laughs> well, the way you, you were saying before is what is, is... What is... Well, the way we say it usually, and I don't remember exactly, is... Everything is as it should be. Everything is as it should be. So actually there are two things I want you to remember. Everything is as it should be. Yes. Theuncontrollablechild.com. Those two things, that's how I'm gonna leave it, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Enjoy the rest of the- And guys, there you have it. The Uncontrollable Child had a pleasure of sitting down and speaking with Matisse Miller, I definitely, definitely, if you listen through the, through the whole podcast and you listen to the end now, I highly recommend you take some time to work on yourself. You take some time to, again, like I said at the end of the podcast of the interview, go to the uncontrollablechild.com. Go there, purchase the book, follow the instruction. If you get your receipt number, there is a, a way to also find out more, unlock more bonus content and bonus support resources but it's important it's important to be able to take some time to unlearn and also become aware of the areas you need to change acceptance and change it's so so important i've been reading a book for the last few days and it's it's revealing so much to me i highly recommend it and as always thank you for staying on the podcast thank you for listening to this episode remember to like share and subscribe and follow Wherever platform you're listening to, I really appreciate you coming on. And as I told you, and as I always tell you, thank you. Make sure you tune in next week, Friday, 5 a.m. on all platforms, audio and video for the next episode of Journey to Fatherhood. Take care.